you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, as Jerry just mentioned, chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, as we are making our way, we're getting closer to the end than we were at the beginning, right? And so we're, we're moving right along. Uh, the analogy that, that Jerry just shared, shared is uh, so similar to one I was thinking of myself years ago. Uh, I was a, a runner. I am no longer so much a runner. Uh, I, I have run at times, but certainly not enough that anyone would qualify me as a runner. Uh, but during my early training, I remember training with my brother. He and I both lived in Birmingham together, and so we were training for a long-distance race, and, uh, and, and he tricked me one day. Uh, we were running the, the longest distance I had run to, to that point, and uh, he was trying to push the pace a little bit, uh, make me run faster than I thought I could. And so um, he, not only did he trick me in making me run faster, but uh, we were running a loop from his house. So we were going to start and finish at his house, and we had, we had gotten... Uh, pretty close to getting back to his house and, and within just a couple hundred yards of what I thought was the end, he said, by the way, we're going to have to, we still have a couple more miles left. We have to turn here. And uh, at the time, I just wore a little digital watch like this, no mile tracker or anything. Uh, so I'm totally trusting him that this is the right distance. And, and so we did, certainly we, we were running now away from his house when it was in, you know, it's like uh, when the horse sees the barn. Well, I saw the barn and then turned. And so I am, I am not really excited about this. I uh, did not know about this adjustment, but I, I pressed on. And uh, as I pressed on, my pace began to slow. I was, I was breathing heavier. And part of it was probably just the frustration. Uh, I thought we were done and we were not done. And uh, my brother was, was trying to encourage me. And uh, I was trying to breathe and uh, he simply said, match my stride. I just want you to, like, take your mind off everything else. And when I take a step, you take a step at the same pace. We happen to be the same height. And so our gait really is very similar. If you've ever uh, met my brother, uh, we have a lot of similarities, mannerisms, and that's actually one of the blessings. We, we match strides pretty well. And so... Um, I did. I was able to keep that pace for the final mile or two and finish strong. Um, in fact, the, the, probably the fastest I've ever done. But we, as we look at this text this morning, um, we will see Paul telling his readers not to match his stride, but instead to match the stride of Christ. Be in step with him. One step at a time, going Step for step, walk like Christ, imitate God. We want to consider, right, as we walk through life, we want to walk that out in a manner that people see Jesus in us, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we 
think. In fact, that's really the main point of today. Hopefully you'll listen through the whole sermon. But if, if you want to know what the main point is, like fast forward. As you walk through life, walk in a manner that people see Jesus in your actions, your words, and your insights. So let's do this. Let's, let's read the text for today. Uh, beginning in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be sexual, but, no, don't be, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. But because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hey, kids, I want you to do something today. Uh, you can certainly do this with a drawing. You're, you're welcome to draw shoes uh, if you would like. This is, this is part of what's making me think about this. But, but when we think about walking, at least when we think about it here in uh, the United States, maybe not always in Mississippi in the summer, right? Uh, we think about shoes, uh, this is a, a common occurrence at my house. Hey, get your shoes. Hey, put your shoes on. Hey, we've got to go. Put your shoes on. No, I need you to put your socks and your shoes on, right? Like those kind of statements get ma made a lot at my house. I don't know about at yours, but at my house, this is common. I need you to, to get, the, get your shoes. And so uh, here's what I was thinking about. Today, there are, are four ways in which we're going to walk. And, and so I want you to think of this as two socks and two shoes, right? So, so next time you're putting on your socks and your shoes, think of these four things. So when you, you think about the first sock, by the way, socks go on first. Um, I don't know if that happens ever at your house, but it's been attempted, right? So uh, 
socks and shoes. So the, the things that we want to do as we walk, if we're trying to do what verse 1 says, be imitators of God, we're going to try to walk like him. What does that look like? And so boys and girls, even as you are getting dressed tomorrow morning for school and you're putting your socks and your shoes on in the right order, I want you to think about walking like Christ. Okay? So let, let's think of it this way. First, we want to walk in love. These first few verses give us this charge. I want to read them again to you, even though I just read them. I think it is good for us to hear them again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In this, these first six verses... It explains to us how we're supposed to do the very thing that he's charging us to do. If we want to walk in love, then we must imitate God. We want to actually look like him. And here's what's incredible. I want you to think back with me to creation. In creation, there is like God designing everything. Literally, not just designing it in his mind, but speaking it into being. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be sun and moon and stars. Let there be water and land and vegetation. Let there be animals. Let there be giraffe and hippo and kangaroo and, I don't know, wombats. Like, he, he speaks all of these things into existence. And then he says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them in the image of God. We, church, we as people are image bearers. We, we bear the look of God. There's something different about us. We are set apart in our differences from everything else in creation. No, nothing else gets that said about them. The majesty of, of mountains don't get said that they are made in the image of God. The power of the ocean does not get said that they are made in the image of God. The intensity of a lion or the size of an elephant, or the details of an ant. None of them made in the image of God. But you and I are made in the image of God. So as image bearers, we should love what God loves. This makes sense. In order for us to walk in love, we would want to love what he loves. If we're going to imitate him, what does God love? I would argue that God does love his creation. This is why he even gives us dominion in Genesis 1, right? 
He even tells us, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let, the, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We get dominion over these things. God loves his creation. Just because what I just said about mountains and oceans and animals and vegetation uh, don't get the image of God, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love those things that he created. In fact, he gives them to us for us to have dominion so that we would love them rightly. We are to love what God loves. We should love his creation. In, in addition, God loves his people, right? God has a peculiar Love for his people. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He was pleased when he made people. He was, he was happy that he had made all of the earth and everything in it. We can see over and over and over in Scripture that God shows an abundance amount of care and concern for those image-bearer people that we are. God is love, and God loves his people, so we too we shouldn't just be uh, like animal lovers and tree huggers. You can do that. I'm happy for you to hug a tree. But uh, like we should have a peculiar difference in our love for people. But I want to point something out to you today that might strike you as unusual. But it is littered throughout all of Scripture. God loves his own glory. So if we want to love like God loves, we don't just love what he created. We also love him and his glory. So I want to just briefly run you through some of the passages where this is mentioned. Right? In Isaiah 48, for my, my name's sake, I defer my anger for the sake of my praise. I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake. He says it twice. I do it. For how should my name be proclaimed? My glory I will not give to another. Even in Ephesians chapter 1, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that, he, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of his glory, of his grace. Isaiah 43, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Isaiah 49, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Jeremiah 13, I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they may be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. Psalm 106, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his name's sake. You see, God raised up Pharaoh to show his power and to glorify his name, Romans 9. For this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Then God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea for his own glory. Exodus 14, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh. Ezekiel 20, I acted for the sake of my name. 
1 Samuel 12, right? For his great namesake, he did not forsake his people. 2 Kings, God saved Jerusalem for, from attack. For my own sake, for the sake of my servant David, I will defend the city. The nations will know that I am the Lord, Ezekiel 36. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Jesus, Jesus sought the glory of the Father, John 7. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. Jesus told us to do good works so that God would get glory, Matthew 5. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus endured his final hours of suffering on the cross. Why? For the glory of God. Yes, it was so that we would be forgiven of our sins, but ultimately it was for the glory of God. He says, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, John 17. Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Psalm 25, I will pardon guilt for my name's sake. Jesus receives us into fellowship for the glory of God, Romans 15. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God, John 16. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Even in the book of Acts, Herod is eaten by worms, struck dead because he did not give glory to God. Guess what? Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. 2 Thessalonians, glorified in his saints and to be marveled among all who have believed. Jesus' ultimate aim for us is that we see and enjoy his glory. John 17, God's plan is to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. Habakkuk 2, in the new Jerusalem. Like, who's ready for the new Jerusalem? Right? In the new Jerusalem, the glory of God replaces the sun. There's no need for light or lamp because the light is the glory of God and the lamp is the lamp. Church, we should love what God loves, and God loves his own glory. And, and maybe it is, maybe it is you're hearing that kind of reality, and it strikes you as odd because it seems to be quite selfish or prideful or arrogant for any one of us to love our own glory. In fact, we are, we are shunned for this. We are told that this is sin. Why wouldn't it be sin if God loves his own glory? Well, I would make this argument to you. What would you rather him put his, like, want more? You see, when we want our own glory over God's, we are wrong. Like, we're incorrect. Right? Someone else should get credit. If you have done something good, it is only because God did it through you. Every good and perfect gift is from God. Everything good that happens in your life is from him. So, why wouldn't we give him the credit for it? And if every good and perfect gift is from him, who else is he going to give credit to it? He would be lying. Like if he gives you credit for something he deserves, then he's sinning by lying about who actually deserves it. 
How about that for circular, make your brain hurt? No, so, so catch this. If we want to love what God loves, we love everything that God created, including uh, people, and we love God himself. So if we, if we want to be imitators of God, love what God loves and hate what God hates. And remember, I, he lists out plenty of sins here, so I don't have to go through all of them. You just need to know, we'll talk about this again in just a moment, but hate sin because God hates sin. In fact, it causes me to think not only that we should imitate God, but that we should imitate Christ, the Son of God. Specifically, right, in, as a, a human, as a man, in his uh, living without sin, this is how we should imitate him. When I think about in my own life, even, even this past week, there were some uh, pastors gathered here and we were discussing uh, the idea of pursuing holiness and living lives of holiness. And quickly, we, we shifted to uh, spiritual disciplines, right? Read the Bible, pray, journal, uh, silence, solitude, like taking rest, all of these things that we realized. And then it, it, was, it was a reminder to all of us that the idea of pursuing holiness is not just add things to your list that you need to work harder at. You need to be better, so do more. Read the Bible more. Pray harder. Pray longer prayers. Pray earlier in the morning. You know, all the spiritual people get up early. I say that because I get up early. Um, right? right? That's, that, that's what we think, though, right? If we'll just do those things, if we'll, just, if we'll just work harder, and yet all the while, sometimes we're not even pursuing God. We're just pursuing the things that actually should result in that. But I would argue instead, pursue God. And what will flow out of that is I need to spend more time with him. So I want to read the word more. Because I want to know God, so I'm going to talk to God. It's not just about adding things. It's also about removing sin. The pursuit of holiness isn't just do more. It is stop doing wrong. I've been wrestling with this. Uh, for a little while and thinking about exactly how this plays out. And I don't know that uh, everybody has the same answer for this, but I have been considering the idea in removing sin that we should ruthlessly attack sin in our lives. Like intensely go against it. So when we think about sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, dirty mouth, crude jokes, being led astray, this, these should be things that we attack. We don't just like let linger around, like let them sit around in us. And, and catch this, in verse four, I love, I love how uh, Paul seems to try to help even with just a slightest of a, a half of a sentence. He says, but... This is the second half of verse four. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Right? If we're 
no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, but instead, thankful. I think in some ways it's, it's the reality that if we're thankful for the boundaries that God has set up for us, that we won't want to pursue other things. If we're, if we're genuinely thankful, not just thankful in words, but if we're genuinely thankful for, uh, like if you're thankful for your husband or if you're thankful for your wife, maybe, maybe you are less likely to let your eyes wander where they ought not wander. If you're genuinely thankful for the provisions that God has given you, maybe you won't want this this idea of covetousness. Maybe you won't want something else because you'll be genuinely thankful, content, satisfied in what God has provided for you. If you're thankful for all of God's graces, maybe you will not find the need to speak with negativity to others about all the things you don't have. In fact, you won't have time because your, your words will be filled with gratitude. See, as you walk through life, we want to walk in a manner that people can see Jesus in our actions, in our words, and in our insights, right? So we walk in love in this way. We imitate God. We imitate Christ. And Scripture tells us we need to walk in light. Walk in light. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Catch this, light makes truth visible. Like you want to you want to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, verse ten. Then you need to see what is true. This is why Psalm one nineteen: Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to know what steps? Like we're literally talking about walking, and the psalmist echoes this, right? I love it when Scripture does that; it gives us the same analogy in a different part, right? You want to know what steps to take. Shine a light on the truth. Let the truth tell your steps. Walk like this. Do these things. Don't do these things. See these things as sins that you must shed. Pick up these pictures of righteousness. We're going to go through that even in the, the rest of Ephesians, right? Light makes truth visible. And I know we, we talked about this last week, but do not be Blind to the truth. Right? Sometimes we hear the truth and we reject it. We need to know what sin is and what the punishment for sin is. Right? Know the truth. In fact, this leads us to the fact that light makes sin visible. Light makes the truth visible, right? So we can see what steps to take. But when we step into the light, we see the wickedness even in our own lives. 
So we, we don't want to do, we don't want to take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but we want to do what? Expose them. How do you expose things in the dark? Shine light on it. Maybe this is a good time for a pause. I believe that humanly, this is a weakness of ours. We prefer to portray that we are okay, that everything's all right, that we're not struggling with particular sin. We don't like to expose ourselves to anyone. In some ways, and that kind of leads us to living in the dark, living in shame, hiding our sin. But what Paul is saying is, like, make it known. And I will, I will say, this is, a, this is why we have things like life groups here. It's not the only way in, or only place in which that can happen. But if you're not in a life group, then know that that is a, a, an, an advantage to being in a group in which someone can raise their hand and say, can y'all pray for me? I'm just, I'm just struggling this week. I've been, I've been angry this week. You know, I, and, and, and by the way, if you're in that life group when someone raises their hand and says, I'm struggling, then your job is to say, yeah, let's, let's circle around you. Let's pray, both literally and, and later in the week. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be lifting you up before the Lord this week that, that your anger will be under control, that your lust will be under control. Maybe, maybe there's some uh, accountability groups that need to be happening. These are things that, that should be happening inside the church, and it can't always happen in this setting, Right? I mean, like, maybe it would be a little unusual for one of you to raise your hand and share one of those things. But in a smaller setting, oh, it's much more uh, the norm, much more comfortable. And so I would want to, to like, encourage that. Bring light. You want to walk like Christ? You want to look more like him? Expose. Bring light to the truth and to sin. You walk through life, walk in a manner that people will see Jesus in your actions, your words, and your insights. Thinking about these insights, Scripture says to walk in wisdom. All right, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the, devil, the days are evil, and therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In this portion, I want us to think of something to not do and something to do, okay? So the first would be, do not squander your time. Right, uh, those of, those of you in the room who are grandparents seem to tell me this all the time, or especially those who are empty nesters, at least, right? You'll say this to me. Uh, I'm in that stage of life where I have a kindergartner, two sixth graders, and an eighth grader, and so this is that time that goes by really fast. If, like, right? Uh, 
I, I think back even just a, a few years ago when I got here, we only had three kids, and now we have four, and life, life is fast right now. And, and we're always going and doing, and uh, I just had one by myself yesterday, and I'm tired, right? Uh, like, it all depends on which one you have. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Uh, but, but I had the one. And so, uh, yeah. Lots of energy, lots of stuff all the time. Go, 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 go. And so, so you tell me, don't, don't squander that. Like cherish these years because you'll miss them. Right? Y'all, y'all say that to me. And I, I do believe you. I, I genuinely do cherish my time with my kids. I'm, I'm so thankful for them. But I think about that. Like what if, what if this is what God is saying to us? Don't squander it because even though it might be 80 or 90 years long, that's like a nothing in the billions and billions of years of eternity. So don't, don't waste it. Like consider, consider what does that then mean? Consider your points of service and ministry. If you've only got a little bit of time here on earth, how are you going to serve? How are you going to give yourself to God? How are you going to like open up all the opportunities that you can? What about considering your points of, of like just giving yourself? Who are you investing yourself in? What are you doing with your kids? What are you doing with your grandkids? What are you doing with those like church members around? College students, you're, you're in the room right now. Like consider your summers. How are you using your summer? That quote unquote free-ish time. Like what are you going to do? For, like, are you... Are you going to use those to fully engage with ministry and experience and opportunity to, to make Christ known? What about like the, the first couple years right out of college? What if you used that time when maybe you don't have all the other things like holding you back, like kids and a spouse and those kind of things, and like you're free, you don't have a job, you don't have anything else? Go use those couple years for the glory of God in another country even. Go ahead. Young couples, Think about, like, could you give your time to a people group who have no access to the gospel? Families, could you give your time in investing in others in your neighborhood? Like, like if you live in an apartment complex, could you make time for the people in your apartment complex? If you own a home that's in a neighborhood, could you invest your time into other people in the neighborhood? Like knock on the door, give them some cookies. Just generally show kindness. I probably shouldn't make cookies, but I think I can do the break and bake. Right? Other than that, like what, what, what can you do to be giving things, to be sharing of your time, to, to like care? Don't, don't squander your time. But instead, do follow the Lord's will. You want to do whatever the, the will of the Lord is? And some of us say that statement a lot. You ask that question, I want, to, I want to follow the will of God, but you never read his word. You want to know what God's plan is, it would be really wise to hear from him. So read the Bible. That's why we call it the word of God. If you're wondering where to start, uh, we have a Bible, Bible reading plan we're going through. You can pick up that. Um, just going to pick up where we are and just join with us. 
Because as you walk through life, we want to walk in a manner that people see Jesus in your actions, in your words, and your insights. And so finally, I would say this. The others actually use the phrase, like, walk in love, walk in uh, light, walk in uh, in wisdom. But this one doesn't. But I, I want us to still see this truth, to walk in spirit. Here's what it does say. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, something to not do and something to do. First, do not Get drunk on wine that never satisfies. I don't have a lot of time to spend on this one specific statement, but I do want to be very clear. Drunkenness is sin. Drunkenness is one of the most difficult sins for us to know when you have crossed in that, like, uh, it doesn't say drinking alcohol is sin, it also doesn't define drunkenness. Like there's no uh, breathalyzer test in the New Testament, right? Therefore, I would just say that it is wise to drink alcohol infrequently, if at all, and in small amounts, if at all. If you are tempted to drunkenness, it is wise to not drink at all. If you, want, if you want more on this, I did uh, record a podcast on this very topic uh, a couple years ago on the Christ and All podcast uh, that I, I went into much more detail. But um, I would much rather spend our time thinking about what we ought to do than what we ought not to do, okay? And what this tells us is that don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, so this is what we ought to do. If, if we are filled with the Spirit, right? If, if this is, is what the overflow of this is singing, is thankfulness, is submission, then this other thing is going to be much less of even a topic because we're going to be so filled with the Spirit that we don't have time to be filled with drunkenness or, or any of the other sins that are listed. Covetousness, sexual immorality, these things, when we are filled to overflowing with the Spirit. This is what that idea of filled with the Spirit is, right? To overflow with the Spirit. Like, do get filled with the Spirit that always satisfies. It always is enough. He is always enough for us. Think about that. Think about the overflow. You know, I believe that congregational singing is uh, one of the most beautiful things in the church because it's in congregational singing that we hear each other celebrate who Christ is, but even in the heartache and hardship and difficulty that we still, in the overflow, celebrate the perfections of God. 
What I mean by that is some of you know each other's hurts, heartbreaks, grief, sorrow, physical pain. You, you know about each other that life is hard. And so when I know those things about you and I hear your voice and I see you sing, I am charged to sing all the more. When, right, when, when you see someone who this week found out they had cancer and they still sing, it is well with my soul. When, when you hear someone who became a widow this week, or this month, or this year, and then they sing that God is self-sufficient, describing God and his perfections. You see someone who has lost their job and they say, God, you are enough. Right? This is, this is what we do. And so the overflow of our being filled with the Spirit is singing, even if we don't sing on the right note. It's okay. Because that that's an overflow of our, of our gratitude, of our thankfulness. And so as a result, so, so see this all together. When we're filled with the Spirit, we then submit to His ways. And all of the other things that we just said, all of the other realities that we just walked through, that like walking like Christ becomes possible when we walk in the Spirit. You want to love what God loves. You want to hate what God hates. You want to look more like Christ. Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. I think what Paul was trying to do here was, was make that correlation between maybe, maybe the opposite, in a, in a sense. When someone is drunk, it's as though they are no longer in control. right? That, that's why it's a problem. That's why... DUIs exist, right? It's a problem. It's dangerous for everybody else because they are no longer in control of themselves. When the Spirit of God, when you are so filled with the Spirit of God, it is as though you are no longer in control of yourself. And except this time, it's in the right way. When you're when you say, God, fill me. I need you. I, I want you. Everything else, you begin to walk like him. And people do look at you and they see Jesus. But I, I want you to know that in order for that filling to take place, you have to have turned away from all the other stuff in your life. That stuff, like sin, you have to reject. You have to, that has to repulse you. You have to not want sin. You have to say, God, I, I need you to forgive me for that sin, but also I want to turn away from it. I don't, want to, I don't want you to just say, I forgive you. I want to stop doing it. Turn away from sin and yourself and your plans and your ways. Say, fill me up. I need you. Turn away. Repent 
and believe. You, you can't fully believe unless you repent. You can't fully trust in Jesus unless you turn away from your sin. So today, today, may you be filled with the Spirit. If you've never turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, may today be that day. In fact, if you have more questions about that, there will be some here to my left that I would love to talk with you, answer questions, pray with you. But if, if you know this God, then out of the overflow, might we sing songs of praise to him. Might we submit to his every will and his every way. Surrender to him and be filled with the Spirit. Stand with me as we respond.